You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Jen Wilkin, and I'm joined by my co-host, JT English. Hey, Jen. And Kyle Worley. Hey, this, you, feel, this feels a little funny. You can't... Uh, oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> no, not in a bad way. <laughs> this but is also, the first time. you guys are wearing matching shirts today. Well, his has a collar and mine doesn't, but yeah, they're both black. look like little twinsies. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. Well, uh, do you want to do this last part? You want to get us to the episode? You can't, you're already carrying it the whole way. I don't know what the next part is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll teach you the ways later. Uh, Great. Today's episode, we are in Acts 9, meeting the Apostle Paul, Saul. We'll find out. Hope you enjoy the discussion. All right, uh, guys, I did it. It only took me 61 episodes, but I finally worked in a Paul Simon reference to a title of a Knowing Faith episode. <laughs> you can call me Paul. Well, you know, it's not a title of the, but I understand what you're, what you're saying. It's the title of a song. It's a Paul. It, I can, you can call me Al. Y- yes, but I wanted to put you can call me Al, but I can't. Right. But, but I, I got as close as I could to. I love this song. I have a vivid memory of my dad and I listening to this music video. It was probably like 1989, 1990 sure. or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, this is like the happiest song ever. And you just can't not watch the song Chevy Chase is in the music video uh-huh. and not smile and be like, yes. life's pretty good. It's it's a great song. Wait, what's your favorite Paul Simon song? It, this one. Really? Just because of the memory, like the nostalgia. Huh. Rewrite, probably, which is off of uh, one of his more recent albums. I love it. It's just uh-huh. a great song. What yeah, about you? It'd be hard to pick a favorite. One of the ones I'm thinking of right now is that, uh, and I'm not even sure the title, but it's Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes. Oh, yeah. That's the name of the song. Can you sing it? You know I can, JT. (laughs) (laughs) But right now, I think I won't. Okay. (laughs) No, I mean, I... I, You have a dangerous look in your eye. (laughs) (laughs) One with which I am familiar. (laughs) Lauren took me to see Paul Simon a few years ago. It was the best concert I've ever been to. It's really fun. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I'd seen Weird Al Yankovic two weeks before. <laughs> like, this is different. So it was definitely a palate cleanser. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they were in the same venue. You can call me Weird Al. Oh, oh mm. I know it's so good. Right? That was really good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, if you have not heard this song, you should Spotify. You can call me Al. Yeah. If you if you have the chance, you should YouTube the music video because it's delightful. It's good stuff. It's really really fun. But today we're not talking about Al. We're talking about Saul. Or Paul, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens here. Um, So let's just do a quick kind of recap. The last time that we talked through the book of Acts, we encountered a martyr, a magician, and a missionary. We encountered Stephen. Mm Mm-hmm. And we talked about Stephen's speech, mm-hmm. his witness, mm-hmm. uh, which is what the word martyr means, witness, his mm-hmm. testimony, his giving testimony to um, what Christ had done and what Christ was doing throughout all of human history, and then his martyrdom, that he he died bearing witness. Um, and then we encountered Simon, who was a magician, um, not like Joe Bluth uh, on Arrested Development, right. or, uh, more of like, or not like David Copperfield, uh, but, but somebody who was wanting to use spiritual or divine power for his own ends. Um, and that- Kyle, what? we had someone named Simon in episode 59, and it took you till episode 61 to work in a Paul Simon reference. Oh my gosh, yes. It's disappointing. It is. <laughs> yeah, I guess my credentials just got Fine. shot. Um, uh, but we kind, of, we kind of talked about how Simon wanted to exploit the apostolic power uh, with the receiving of the Holy Spirit for his own purposes and his own yeah. ends. Um, and then we moved on to talk about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, which is just an incredible picture of God, uh, what, what looks like on a really 
superficial reading of the text to be this some crazy extraordinary thing that happens, but actually it just jives and syncs up with what God has already been de- demonstrating in the book of Acts of using ordinary people to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus to people throughout the world. And that God has chosen to, like Spurgeon said, drive in nails with hammers and to bring his gospel through human people like Philip. And so today we're in Acts chapter 9. Um, we first encountered Saul Paul in Acts chapter 8, right? Yep. Because where did we find Saul? And can we just call him Saul for the duration of this episode or do we need to dispute that? What, do we, what would we prefer to call him? That way we're not saying Saul Paul this whole I time. I think Saul. Let's, let's go with Saul. Let's start with Saul. Because he actually, the text I don't think starts referring to him as Paul until... Later. Later, like yeah, his first missionary journey. Yeah, right. it's like the second half of the book. Um, and so we encounter Saul in Acts chapter, end of Acts chapter 7, right? And and the beginning of Acts chapter 8. Mm-hmm. Where do we encounter him? At the stoning of Stephen. He's standing by holding the coats. Holding the coats. And, um, and, and it says, and Saul approved of his execution in chapter 8, verse 1. And then also it goes on to say uh, in verse 3 of chapter 8, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And uh, I think it's interesting. It says men and women, just so that we can understand the harshness of what he's doing. And apparently that word ravaging is literally um, a word that's used to describe mangling by a wild animal. Hmm. So it's a forceful word. It's not just he's on a rampage. It's he's... He's, he's violent about it. Right. There's like a ravenous mm-hmm. desire here almost. Well, and interestingly, we've already been being set up for the introduction of Saul even before this. If you, if you, I don't think we talked about it on a podcast, but Gamaliel, oh, we did. We talked we about did. Gamaliel, right? Yeah, as a teacher. Yeah, and, he's, and he is actually um, the rabbi who Saul sits under. Yeah. So he's been introduced to us and then he shows up at the end of Acts. He's mentioned again as Saul's teacher. So, But at this point, Saul and Gamaliel are taking two different approaches. Yeah, absolutely. He's not a very good student of his master. Yeah. Gamaliel has or has said exercise caution and yet what do we see? We see Saul just charging ahead. Right. And so at the end of uh, chapter 8, verse 3, it's uh, he's dragging off men and women and committed them to prison. And then the story drops to, to discuss Philip mm-hmm. uh, and then Simon the magician then Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And then chapter nine picks up almost like exactly where chapter eight, verse three. So it's like, he's dragging off men and women, but Saul almost like, okay, but like, like in the meantime, in the meantime, right. It's like a cutaway. Well, and again, we've talked about the expansion and the contraction of the scenes here. So we have it, it it contracts Mm -hmm. and we see something that's happening within the community of believers, this positive anecdote. And then it's going to expand again. And we see now how there's going to be conflict. So, uh, Verse 1 of chapter 9, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which is a shorthand here. I don't know. The way is not used prolifically throughout the book of Acts. No, but I really like it. I like it too, but it's it's interesting. This, I don't, Jen, I don't know if you've encountered anything in studying this, but it's like a really kind of, it's like a poetic rend- or it's a prosy rendering, mm-hmm. but you don't get the way. It's not like the way is some sort of big mega theme in Acts, is it? We're not, not encountering that, that phrase a lot. Of. I haven't. I haven't looked into that. No, I mean it's obviously a reference to Jesus's naming of himself. Yes, yeah. of course, but it's just mm-hmm. it seems I don't know. But you're right. It's like, why didn't you guys use this more? This, yeah, it, it, feels really like, it feels like they're in a marketing room. It's right. like, that's a really good, let's call <laughs> ourselves that. So he says if, he found any belonging to the way, men or women. So then again, you get the doubling down on the, hey, listen, this is, this is for everybody that's involved in the way. He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drink. Okay, so let's pause here. In Acts 9, Saul's on the road. and He's not just a little on the road. Yeah. Like the distance from Jerusalem where he decides that he's going to secure these letters and Damascus is 200 miles. Right. So he's making north. a trip. Yeah. He's like, you know what? I'm committed to this. We're going to stamp it out wherever I can get to. Yeah. He's, he's on a missionary uh, journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like this is, yeah. This is, he's, he perceives himself as the faithful missionary in the line of Jeremiah, in the mm-hmm. line of Isaiah, in the yeah. line of the major minor prophets. What we cannot have is syncretism. And what we have right now is a bunch of Jewish people worshiping a guy named Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he perceives himself as somebody that is re- a religious zealot. Like, I am right here. Yeah. And he sees himself on a mission and he's he thinks God's on his side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do we know about Saul outside of this story? Or like when we read through scripture, what do we find out in maybe other places about Saul? So we've mentioned one thing that he was a student of Gamaliel, mm-hmm. who was a kind of a religious figure who had some prominence in the first book first part of the book of Acts because of his speech, so to speak, in defense of caution with those uh, who were, were approaching and dealing with Christians. But outside of that, what are some other things that we know about Saul? Have you got it, JT? I see no, you flipping. No, I'm forgetting what passage it's in. <laughs> it's in Sorry. Philippians, right? That's about, what I'm looking yeah, yeah, for. Right? But that he was, he, he's, he's Jewish. Jewish. He's Jewish. He has he's good, the Jew of all Jews. Yeah, he's got good, yeah. he, mm-hmm. he is bragging about his credentials mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. in Philippians, I believe it mm-hmm. is. But now all of us are looking as if. <laughs> as if we had prepared to mm-hmm. turn to this before yes, we started we recording. Um, and, uh, and watch it not even be in Philippians. But alas, uh, Paul certainly, Saul certainly has definite reasons. Uh, here it is right here. Got it. Uh, is for, it Philippians? Yeah, Dang Philippians 3. Oh, so so Look out for the dogs. Gosh. Look out for the evildoers. Out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's a resume. Yeah. So Saul seems to be saying, listen, um, the background on me is that I'm better at this than you are. Yes. Yes. I am. Nobody is more committed at this point in Acts 9. Saul's self-conception is that nobody is more prepared, committed, equipped, and desirous to be the ultimate Jewish representation Mm -hmm. of religious fidelity, Mm -hmm. right? And that that leads to persecution. Mm -hmm. Like, because what it, I mean, just like JT mentioned, he wants to sniff out, stamp out um, anything that would compromise faithful Judaism, Mm -hmm. as he understands Mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think he also gives himself as a representation of the logical conclusion of being a devout Jew Mm -hmm. is that you will hate the truth. Say more about that. Well, in other words, he's saying, "Look, I, I I ticked all the boxes, and guess what? I I would have I would have crucified Christ." Mm. Yeah. Yes. So he he's saying, "Like I'm, I was involved. I was in it, mm-hmm. and I was blind." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is what the story is about, too. Right? Is that Saul thinks he sees where he's going? Yeah. And his encounter with Christ, like physically, demonstrates. Him. Yeah. You don't know where you're going. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, like this. The there's the metaphor is definitely on the nose in this story, yeah. right? It's like you want a picture of where you're at, Saul. You're now blind. Yeah, you've encountered the truth, and the truth has led to blindness yeah. for you. So, in this encounter, what is the significance of this event for Paul? Uh, often. Uh, we think about this moment as primarily the beginning of his conversion exclusively, which is true. But what are some other things that are significant about this event itself? I'm not sure if this is what you're asking, but one thing that I think is significant is, is uh, I heard a podcast with, I think it was N.T. Wright recently, and he was kind of exploring this, this conversion event. And he said something that people don't realize is, is with this resume that we just talked about with Saul, what he was passionate about, he would have been praying. He would have been asking God to, for his help. He would have been saying, Yahweh, help me to, 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 to accomplish your will and your mission, that, that these people who are worshiping a false god in Jesus might be stamped out. And in this prayer, it would have been something like Ezekiel. He, because again, Paul sees himself in line with, with all that the prophets would have been saying. Ezekiel chapter 1, you have uh, this story of of uh, Ezekiel having a vision of God, the glory of God being found in the likeness of men. It says, he says, uh, he looks up, he sees this chariot and he's, it's basically this, this idea that, that zealous Jews would have wanted to have a vision of what God was like Mm -hmm. and they would meditate. And as Paul is on this journey, it's entirely likely that he's meditating on, on the heavens. He's thinking and asking about God's help. He wants this Isaiah vision. You think Mm -hmm. of Isaiah chapter six of, of seeing God's throne room and asking for help. And so here Paul is on this very long journey, as you mentioned, Jen, meditating on the existence of God, asking for God's help, and bang. It's at that moment that the very one that he's persecuting says, I am the one that you are actually trying to meditate on. It could not have been a more radical reversal in terms of the identity of who God is. Yeah, He thinks he has this vision of a throne room of what mm-hmm. God is like, and then Jesus shows up and says, why are you persecuting me? Yeah. I am the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you could not have a more radical turn of events. Yeah, You know, this is interesting because when we talked about the stoning of Stephen, Stephen then is given the thing that the Jew wants. That's right. Mm-hmm. Which would enrage them. His yeah. words would enrage them further. And there's these constant, I mean, you have Isaiah, Ezekiel, Stephen, yeah. Paul. Yeah, so here's, here's Saul fresh off of that scene. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, who stands by and, right. and bears witness to and affirms the, the death of Stephen for even uh, saying that he's had this vision and now God is going to give him his own vision. Yeah. And if you were nearby and you saw something like this, verse 7, and the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, mm-hmm. yeah. hearing mm-hmm. the voice, but seeing yes. no one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, I think that's the point yeah. that mm-hmm. Luke is trying to make is that, oh my goodness, We've got it wrong too, but we haven't seen what Stephen saw or what Paul just yeah. saw. Yeah, that's. I don't think I had connected the similarities between what's what happens to Stephen and what happens to Saul. That's mm-hmm. fascinating. That's really good. Uh, Dr. Adrian Smith, who was one of my professors in seminary, he he also um, drew my attention to this conversion moment as being the encounter that Saul had. The encounter with Saul has shaping his theology moving forward, mm. and namely on the doctrine of union with Christ. Because when Saul encounters the risen Jesus, what does the voice say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me. Mm-hmm. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he doubles down. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. That at this moment, Saul, who is persecuting Christians, when he encounters Christ, Jesus so identifies with his people mm-hmm. that he says, you are persecuting me mm-hmm. by persecuting my people, my children, those who are in Christ Jesus, and that it's no wonder that the doctrine of union with Christ is so pronounced 
in the theology and thought in the writing of Paul, because from his moment of conversion, he's encountering the Lord Jesus Christ mm-hmm. who identifies with his people. And I always thought that is such a profound insight that as a grid for reading the rest of Paul is in this moment of conversion right there at the beginning, he is seeing Saul is seeing that Jesus Christ is saying, no, 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 no. What can be said of me can be said of my people. What happens to my mm-hmm. people happens to mm-hmm. me. What you've done to the least yeah. of these. Yeah. yeah, which is just incredibly significant, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, from this encounter, it says that he is struck blind, and for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Drink. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departs, he enters the house, he lays his hands on him and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. He took food and was strengthened. So in this encounter with Ananias, you have this real mega theme in Acts 9, but really pronounced the end of the first section and this section of the connection between spiritual sight and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. that is definitely a part of what's happening Mm -hmm. here is that you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive sight and immediately scales fall from his eyes. He's, his sight is regained and he's able to rise and be baptized and, and to move forward. And so what is the significance of this moment outside of just this is this the moment where Saul is receiving the grace of God and salvation, right? As he's encountered, he's been confronted, he's been struck blind, and now Ananias is, is Ananias leading him to Christ now. In terms of like, is this the moment where where Saul is moving forward? Is this the real conversion point? Are you asking if this is a pattern, a normative pattern for how salvation occurs? No, I guess I'm. I guess I'm saying at this moment in the story, what is happening? Yeah. What's happening? He's been so because his initial encounter, he's struck blind. He doesn't leave that mm-hmm. scene. He leaves that scene probably disrupted. Yeah. <laughs> right? But not perhaps with clarity. Yes. Yeah. Like this seems to be the moment. Like the idea of spiritual sight being restored and scales falling from your eyes, that seems to be the moment where you're going, Hey, I, I think something has happened here. That happens whenever I drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel so disoriented. And then, and then I get a good pour over, and it's like the scales fall off my eyes, and the world begins to make sense again. Great. All right, I'm gonna. This isn't a stalling tactic, but it is something I'm interested in, in thinking about. Um, the name that is mentioned more in this passage than Saul's name is Ananias's name. So yeah. I wonder if before we look at what's happening with Saul, we should assess what's happening with Ananias. Yeah. Sure. And so the theme that Ananias is carrying forward for us in the book is, in fact, I'm amazed people don't talk about this guy more. I know. Because he's a hoss yeah. in this passage. And and we, again, we've seen that the church's prayer has been for boldness. And Ananias, when God is like, hey, here's what I want you to do. It's like, oh, really? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> but then, and I mean, that's a pattern you see other places too. The Lord does not um, 
does not shame him for his, you know, hey, can you give me a little more info here? Uh, but he, but then he, he, he follows the pattern of people like Abraham, the obedient people of the Old Testament who essentially rise up early in the morning to do what the Lord has told them to do. And mm-hmm. we just see that he just goes and he just does it. Like yeah. the time for questioning is over and he just goes and he does it. But I don't think it means that he wasn't afraid anymore. I think he still felt the oh, man, appropriate yeah. level of fear to dealing with someone like Saul and who's been not just breathing out threats of violence, but actually acting in violent ways. Yeah. Uh, and so he places his, his faith in something that is unseen and he goes it's unseen. and acts. I, I couldn't agree more. It's unseen. But I th- also wonder if he's having this kind of, uh, I don't know if it's an aha moment, but he says, go to, go to this guy named Saul. Mm-hmm. And then he says in verse 15, the Lord said to him, this is right after, yeah. he's like, are you sh- are yeah. you sure? Can we just skip <laughs> yeah. just a minute? <laughs> In verse 15, let's go. Can we have a private conversation? Yeah. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go. He is the chosen instrument yeah. of mine to carry my name, the name of Christ, yeah. before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about this guy named Saul. And Saul is obviously named after the first king of Israel, yes. King Saul, who was meant to bring blessing to the Gentiles. Yeah. And it was meant to bring blessing to the kings and children of Israel. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's also getting this theme of biblical theology mm-hmm. here of, okay, not that Saul is the new king. He's not. Right. But Saul is this king who was mm-hmm. meant to bring blessing to the to, to the Gentiles mm-hmm. and was meant to bring blessing to Israel. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, I'm the new king who's going to do that. So find a new Saul. I'm going to make him new so that this blessing can go forth to all people. Do you so you do see a connection between the name I do. of this person and, and so you would say that Saul New Testament Saul is a redemptive take on Old Testament Saul. I think so. Talk about that some more. I just did. That's it. That's all you got. <laughs> Cuz that was really good. Yeah, and I think that's it. I, mean, I think here you have so you still remind people <laughs> Saul in 1 Samuel is this is this anointed king, right? He is the one yeah, we who We talked about it a lot. a lot. We spent a long time about it and he he is this king But you a, never once said, hey guys, while we're talking about Saul well, in the Old Testament. That's because I was trying to pay attention to the text it. we were in. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think I do. I think there's something here for him. Go to this man who is yeah. my chosen instrument. No, yeah. I really and, like this. And King Saul was supposed to be mm-hmm. my chosen instrument. Right. He was actually the chosen instrument of the people. Right. right. But but God ultimately was, was going to use him until through his disobedience didn't. Mm-hmm. But here you have Saul, who is going to bring the name of ki- the king to the kings and children of Israel. Yeah. It's pretty good, JT. Also, I just need you guys to know, I had a question from a friend of mine who's a podcaster who lives several states away, and he said, does JT just bring piles of notes into the... (laughs) recording and I go, he brings nothing. It is the most annoying thing. <laughs> oh, please. You do the same thing. And you're sitting over there right now with your Bible. You do have an iPad up, but I think you're watching YouTube videos yeah, on just that. Got no, he was, he's reading Sproul's notes on the <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> right. I wish. Here's the thing. I also have a diary next to me and Jen Wilkin just said that's pretty good, JT. And I'm you're dear diary. Mark the day. Dear diary. It is Finally. October 9th. <laughs> Open quote. That was pretty good, JT. Period. Close quote. I'm Jen Wilkin. Jen, I'd like for you to sign this and I'd like to take a selfie. And we need a certificate of authenticity. That's right. Um, so, so we get Saul interacting with Ananias and the boldness of Ananias, certainly. And then this beautiful picture of just this redemptive arc of history of what of what the the first Saul, maybe, so to speak. Apparently. I mean, I feel like the scales been. just fell off my eyes. Mm. Well, yeah, it's a good it's a good perspective. Yeah. And certainly, I mean, we know like 
let me just say one thing. JT is not riffing here anecdotally. No. Like uh, uh, names were deliberately chosen. Names are yeah. not the same way that they are today for us at this time. Right. If somebody in the Jewish tradition named Saul Saul, they did so with a very like looking over their shoulder mm-hmm. like Saul. It's not like anybody would have been like, you know what? Saul sounds yeah, good. It's got a nice do- ring to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like, no, there was a king. Mm-hmm. He was Saul, mm-hmm. first king of Israel. And then you see Saul's uh, resume. I mean, he right. is yeah. in this in right. this huge tradition of what it means to be deeply, deeply, deeply Jewish. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, something else that's important when we think about names here is I've, I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard of like, he was Saul and then God gave him a new name in his conversion and he's now Paul and, and, in, and in Christ, if you're in Christ, God he has given you a, you a new, new name. name. And like, it's like, man, that really preaches great. Yeah, but the it's text, also definitely not he's, true. I was just I was just reminding myself. So Saul is referred you to. You just dashed the hopes and dreams of a whole lot of listeners. You're going to have to follow through in a compassionate I'm going manner to. on what you just I'm said. I'm going to. Uh, Kyle interrupted okay. me. Yeah. So, so Saul, just, just for the record, Saul is referenced to be Saul. Um, all of Acts 9. 11 um, times after the conversion. Yeah, exactly. So Saul. you uh, even at chapter 13 of Acts, <laughs> chapter 13 begins by calling him Saul. Yeah. And then about halfway through, now Paul. Yep. That's the name change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so I think there's a, a really easy explanation here. And, but kind of going back to dashing hopes and dreams, but then providing some comfort, the Bible is is really, really good. We don't need to try to make it better. More. Yeah. We don't, awesome. we don't have to, we don't have to look mm-hmm. for things that aren't there. The message mm-hmm. is glorious. It could not be, it could not be better. So to try to, to try to find things that just aren't in the text it isn't something that we have to do because mm-hmm. we don't have to make it relevant. We don't have to make it more beautiful. The primary reason here for the two names between Saul and Paul is entirely cultural. Yep. He is Saul in a Hebrew context and he is Paul in a Gentile context. That's, right. That's it. And it, if his, he's a chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles, then to be called Saul in that context would not be something that is missiologically helpful. No. Right. But to be called Paul. Sure. That's a name they're very familiar with. It's yep. like trying to, it'd be like trying to understand or say a culture and a name with, that would have pr- would have provided a, an obstacle for them to hearing his message. And that's exactly where you start to see the transition happen yep. is when he is going to the, the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas are going mm-hmm. out. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely right. We live in a possession and money obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World is Seminary President Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. So let's talk a few moments about what happens after uh, his interaction with Ananias. It says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. So he'd been headed to Damascus 
to destroy, right? Yep. And now he's at Damascus with the disciples, and what's he doing? He's been destroyed. Yeah, he's been destroyed. He's been, <laughs> way, he's been laid to waste, and he's been born anew, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he's the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by providing that Jesus was the Christ. Now, to kind of sum up the next part of this chapter, or the rest of this chapter, many days pass, the Jews plot to try to kill Saul, he escapes from Damascus, he comes back to Jerusalem, he attempts to join the disciples, they're terrified, because mm-hmm. last time Saul was in Jerusalem, what was he doing? Trying to kill Bad them. Bad Trying to kill them. Right. So it says, but Barnabas, so Barnabas comes, and he's like, Barnabas is his inside man. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had, pro- uh, he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he goes out among them at Jerusalem. He preaches boldly in the name of the Lord. Again, we see this phrase, he spoke, or, or not again, but this idea of him disputing against the Hellenists, and they were seeking to kill him. When the brothers learned this, they brought him to Caesarea. They sent him off to Tarsus because they're like, hold on, man. You know, mm-hmm. like, we need to call it back. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and had peace and was being built up, was walking in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And so that's really, at least for this chapter, that's where the... the Zoom in. The, yes. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what happens. And so uh, let's just talk a little bit about the witness of, of Saul initially. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to think that it's both Christ-centered, it's gospel-centered, what we would say, like he's proclaiming Christ, mm-hmm. but it's also apologetic, meaning he's having to deal and he's effective at dealing with some of the... The critics, yeah, right? So Mm -hmm. it says that, you know, he's confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus, and he's disputing the Hellenists. So these are like, he's kind of talking on both sides. Right. So how is that going to factor into his overall? Because I think that right there is a little glimpse of the unique role he plays in the rest of the mission of the New Testament. Yes? For sure. So kind of how? How is that? Well, I mean, I think one thing that you see happening here is you see his tactics and strategy for mission change overnight. Yeah. His mission and tactic for strategy just a few verses ago was kill them all. Brute yeah. force. Persecute them. Brute force. And what do you do to kill somebody? Use a sword. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're going to kill them. But then you see Paul have this spiritual conversion and recognize that my enemy isn't flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. The enemy is is spiritual forces and power. He actually writes this mm-hmm. later in Ephesians mm-hmm. when he says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Mm-hmm. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Jumping down to verse 17, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Mm-hmm. So what is Paul's tactic after conversion? It's still to take up a sword. It's just a different sword. It's a different mm-hmm. sword. It's the sword of the spirit. And what do you see three or four times here in Acts chapter nine? Immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying he's the son of God. Verse 27, he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Verse 28, he continued preaching boldly in the name of Christ. Verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee, Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Yeah. And so you see the way that the mission is going forward is not through brute force. It's not through the tactics that the enemy wants to use, but rather it's through the tactics of building up the church through the proclamation of the word of Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, that to be spirit filled is to boldly proclaim the gospel. That's right. 
it is and 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 the way it's proclaimed in acts you know it's like the worst seeker model you could ever come up with that's right <laughs> it really uh, is yeah and that when the spirit grants the prayer for boldness mm. that we that the message is repent and believe it's not um, anything squishy. It's really easy to take up the tactics of the people that are oppressing you. Yeah. Because I'm going to fight with the tool that they're fighting against me mm-hmm. with. And here mm-hmm. he he knows that there Saul's not the only person that was persecuting the church. Mm-hmm. He knows other people are coming from. He has to d- escape from Damascus. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so the the, tem- the temptation would be, you know what? Just a few days ago, I had a sword that I was using to kill people. You know what I mean today? I'm going to pick up that same sword and kill you because now I just have it. Now I know that I'm mm-hmm. right. Now I know who my real enemy is. Yeah. And so therefore I, I can just kill you. I'm, yeah. I know that I'm on the right side mm-hmm. now, but he takes an entirely different tactic by picking up a different sword, the sword of the spirit, preaching Christ boldly in the synagogues, in town, in town centers. He's taking this mission yeah. forward with the saint, with a, with a sword. It's just the sword of, you know, of God. It's interesting because this kind of also connects with what we were talking about with Simon, the magician who wanted to, uh, kind of use the same he wanted to continue to exercise spiritual power right. in the way that with he with a different knew, spirit with a different mm-hmm. spirit yeah so like it's very close almost Saul here his conversion unlike Simon's becomes the antithesis of that story that's right so that like okay yes he was apart but now he is near to Christ and that that conversion has led to a place of saying okay what how I used to 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 it communicates spiritual power or how to exercise spiritual power. It's, it can't be the same any longer. That's right. Yeah. That's I'm having point. a weird thought and you can tell me if it's wrong, but so Gamaliel is the grandson of Hillel. Yep. So you have Shammai and Hillel, those two prominent voices that are informing Judaism at the time that Jesus ministry happens. That's really important. Yeah. So Shammai is the legalist, essentially. Mm-hmm. He's like, he is he is letter of the law mm-hmm. and Hillel is spirit of the law to make it just as, as quick and dirty as possible. They're not Christians. There's They're these not, two right. big, like almost like university mm-hmm. schools mm-hmm. within Judaism mm-hmm. in the first century. So I wonder if it is significant that Saul, oh, I I see that. Saul is trained mm. in the school of Hillel so that even though he actually is acting as a Jew, more like Shammai, when he's converted, he has the spirit of the law in what he has been given through the tradition of teaching that he's been under. And I wonder if that doesn't give him a shorter route toward connecting hmm. the dots. Do you think? Is that a weird? I don't know. I haven't, I've never thought about it. Never once. It seems to me that you would be better set up to receive the gospel if you had learned the law in principle mm-hmm. as your first instinct versus in um, uh, literal terms. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I'm yes. not saying it very well. No, no, I get what you're saying, though, that there's— He's better able to take the, um, the overarching message and apply it with now a Christ-centered focus, I would think, than if it's just the law devoid of— yeah, I've never considered that— I was. I wonder. I wonder if anybody's written anything on it. I wonder. I wonder. As with, I'm, I know I'm interested as well. That'll be something we have to say. Yeah, that's there. interesting. Maybe. That is interesting, though. I mean, but again, I think it's important for our listeners to. Like, we don't know some of this. Like, yeah, we don't know. Yeah. But we're trying is, to learn yeah, together. Yeah, I mean, because interesting. I think that well, that's part of it. Like one of the things that you you guys have been pointing out is so important for when we read the Bible. We've tried to do this anytime we're in these passages. Is that it's we should ask why 
one detail is included and another is not. So like even in Stephen's speech, why, why does he focus on the people that he does focus on? Uh, or why is, why is Saul's name Saul? Like his right. name could have been anything, yeah. those kinds of things. <laughs> and so there are ways that you can overextend that idea. You can pay too much attention yes. to things that are not essential to the story. Yep. But then there are other ways where, you, you know, you can, it's, uh, here's what I would say. Give yourself permission to ask the question, and then see if there's anything to it. And sometimes you're gonna be like, oh yeah, no, there was nothing to that. Yeah. That was just me reading this with an eye toward a detail that didn't actually inform mm-hmm. my understanding of the story. But uh, a lot of things, if you just think about how you would write a book, if you wrote a book <laughs> and the decisions that you would make about what to include or not include or who to mention or not to mention and try to operate from that perspective, I think it can help you to ask good questions. Yeah. So I just looked this up quickly. I mean, I found a really helpful resource. It's called Wikipedia. Mm. Oh boy! So isn't know. that I, associated with Wiccanism? Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know if this name is, I don't name, know if this is permissible in the names court matter. of law. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to actually read any part of the article, but it does say there's actually a lot of conversation about this in huh. academic and scholar. And they, some people question: Well, did Paul really study the feet of Gamaliel if he, he was in this been, murderous rage? Right. Because there's this he contrast. Sounds more like Shammai. Yeah, mm. I never thought of that before. Hmm. Great. Thanks, more Wikipedia. To study, yeah. More to think. Listen, for more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. We'll continue our journey with Saul, Paul, um, over the course of the Book of Acts this year. <laughs> on our next episode, we're going to pop back into the Apostles' Creed to ask, who is the Holy Spirit? See you next time grace and peace.